Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. All right. We're going to talk about Jonah. Anyone ever hear the story of Jonah as a little kid? Think it was weird? Like some dude just got swallowed by a fish. That's weird. He didn't die. That's even more weird. He got puked out of a fish. That's strange. Um, but let's, uh, let's start from the story a little bit from the beginning. I can't walk through all of the adventures of Jonah because last time I tried that, it took me seven weeks. But we're going to try to learn two lessons from Jonah. We'll at least make it through one, but we're going to try for two. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Jonah. It's a great spot when studying Jonah to start. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amity. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay. First thing I would like to point out is that's stupid. You're running from God who's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at the same time. Where are you going to go? Like, what, what makes you think that running the opposite way that he tells you to go is going to get you away from God? So I want to start by saying that's not a good idea. If God tells you to do something, running away doesn't get you away. There is no getting away from God. God sees God hears, God knows. But as I was thinking about this going, well, if, if you know God well enough to hear God's voice and to know that God's speaking to you, why would you run away? Why did he hate Nineveh? Because as you read through the book of Jonah, we discover that the reason that he ran away is because he hates Ninevites. And he's afraid that if he goes and preaches to them that God's going to judge them for their sin, they might repent and God might forgive them and he doesn't want that. And so... Why do you hate them so much? And so I remember I, I discovered some of this in my um, Bible prophets class. We started stu studying Assyria, which Nineveh is their capital. And so I, why is this, why does he hate them so much? And I discovered the Assyrians were an incredibly brutal people. They're, they were not famous for their um, arts. They were famous for their brutality in war. They, the Assyrian Empire grew very, very large um, on military conquest. I actually looked up some stuff last night in the history of their battle tactics, and there's a quote from um, one of the Assyrian generals or kings. It says, I built a pillar over against his gate, talking about his enemy, and I filleted all their chief men, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I impaled upon pillars, on a upon pillar, on stakes. Many captives I burned with fire. From some, I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others, I cut off their noses and their ears. Of many of them, I put out their eyes. This is what he's proud of. Not a very nice people. They've had, by this point, they've had some different battles against Israel. Part of the reason that they did the things that they did, if you got into a siege... You had to take your entire army and you had to go bring it to the city that you were going to take and try to conquer. And if they've got good walls and they try to put up walls 
and you can't get over the walls, they're in a more secure position to fight you. So it becomes a hard battle to win where you've got to try to get ladders and try to overcome the ladders or you've got to try to um, build thing, catapults and build uh, trebuchets to try to launch rocks at it or you've got to have different gear. But this process is long. And a lot of times these kind of battles would turn into a war of starving the people inside until they were so hungry they either all died or would let you in. And that's really hard to feed and pay for your army. So instead of having lots of battles like these, they had an idea. They said, if we want them to surrender, here's what we'll do. If they surrender right away when we show up, we'll be kind of nice to them. If they don't surrender, we will be so horribly brutal to them that everyone else will hear and fear. And the idea was that if they were so horrible, next time they came to a city, the city would go, I can let them in and receive just kind of some poor treatment, or I can have a prolonged battle, and at the end, they're going to skin people, put their skin on pillars, cut off their hands and feet, rip open pregnant women, and just horrible, horrible things. So when Jonah hears, I want you to go preach to them because they're evil, he's going, but if I preach, they might repent, and they might, you might forgive them, and I hate them. They're awful, they're horrible, they're, their practices are so nasty, so wicked, I would rather see them die. So I'm going to run away. But whenever your opinion and God's opinion collide, who's right? God. So he runs away from God. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Bad idea. So what happens when someone does something stupid? I'm sure you've encountered someone doing something stupid before. And I, I made a discovery. Uh, probably shouldn't raise your hands for this one. But I don't know if any of you guys ever made a bomb. Small bomb, not like massive blow up the city bomb. Hopefully you haven't done any of those. But um, in making these bombs, I used to make some. And I, I, as a little kid, I learned like the real simple bomb. It was like, you know, you guys don't even have film canisters anymore. I forget things. Okay, when I was little, there was film canisters. Because everyone had uh, film for their camera. And if you were to stick a little bit of baking soda in one of those, and put a little bit of vinegar on, and quick pop the top on, because it had like a sealed pop top, and put it on, you wait for a second, and it would shoot the top off. This was our first bomb-making experience as little children. Um, but as I, as I got into some that were a little bit cooler, and a little bit louder, and went boom, a little bit bigger, um, I, I learned that you have to be careful, because a lot of them are classified as a compression bomb. The pressure builds inside until it can't be contained inside anymore. And then it goes, boom, and blows up on everything. Um, and they said, be careful of trying to seal it off, because I wanted to blow up something during a service one time. I had this great sermon illustration on anger, and I wanted to blow up a bomb. And so I was, I was actually trying to get approval for this, and so I was talking to my boss, and he's like, well, there's this problem. that You want them to see it, but you want them to be safe from it. But if you seal it into some container that's see-through so that they can see it, if it's sealed, when it explodes, it may cause a secondary explosion in the larger container that might be worse, as, and that'd be bad. Ah, so I had to find a way around that so I could blow something up in service. But the, uh, the point is that when, when the pressure builds inside and things explode, the things around the explosion are affected by the explosion. 
Stupid explodes. Sin explodes. And what a lot of people think is that if you're stupid, you're going to pay for your being stupid. That if you sin, you're going to pay for their sin. Or we can reverse it and go, that if they're stupid, they alone will pay for their stupid. If they sin, they alone will pay for their sin. But the truth of the matter is that sin and stupid explode. And that it's not only the person who sins or is stupid who pays the price for their choices. See, as we, as we go on, Jonah decides to run from God, which he already declared is stupid because God is all-seeing and all-knowing. So wherever you're going to go, he knows. Wherever you're going to go, he sees. And wherever you're going to go, he's already there. So running away doesn't work. But Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 says, As a ship was sailing along, suddenly... Oh, I think I missed a verse. Um, Jonah went... We said he, that in verse 3 that Jonah went up, went the opposite direction. He got on a ship leaving for Tarshish, which was the opposite direction, bought a ticket, and got on board hoping to get away from God. But as the ship was sailing along, suddenly the Lord flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to send them to the bottom, fearing for their lives... The desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard, lightening the ship. All this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after, um, after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will have mercy on us and spare our lives. Okay. Why is there a storm? Because Jonah's running from God. What's Jonah doing about it? Sleeping. So he got in the bottom of the boat and like shut the door. So he's in a little compartment there. And he's like, look, hey, it's rock a bye He like getting rocked to sleep while the sailors are freaking out up top. In fact, it says that they begin to throw the cargo overboard. Do you realize that the whole point of their journey was to get the cargo to the other side? Because when they got the cargo to the other side, they could sell it and they would get paid money. And it would pay for their time and for their boat. So his being on the boat is costing them the whole point of their journey. Who's being affected? They are. Who's being stupid? Jonah. And it's this strange concept that though they were paying dearly, Jonah wasn't doing anything to help. A lot of times... We want to help somebody that doesn't want help. A lot of times we're like, all right, I'm going to fix them. And they're like, I'm just going to keep doing stupid. And we have to understand that stupid explodes. And that you can get severely hurt when it's not you being stupid. That if you choose to gather around people that are continuing to sin or do stupid, it affects not just them. Years ago, okay, wow, it's been a lot of years. We're just going to go with years ago. Um, before I could drive, we were getting ready to go on a trip, and my brother came and picked me up from Lake City, and he was really mad that mom and dad made him come and pick me up. Um, and he was in a hurry. He was driving uh, foolishly, would be a good description of his driving, um, the digits were at least triple, and we were passing people 
legally, illegally, in all other ways possible, um, as we were going down the highway. And a few people weren't too thrilled with his driving. And I say we, I was sitting down, buckled up, going, wow, look at those trees go by quickly. Um, <laughs> this was the extent of my sin. I sat and watched trees go by. Um, and cars. Well, some of the people that we passed, I think somebody who we passed on the shoulder at, you know, much faster than they were going, called in the police and ended up that the police had an unmarked car waiting for us. And they figured that the car was going fast enough that if they left them at a stationary spot, it might not be a good idea. So they had a car going the speed limit that was unmarked. So when we went flying by it at some speed that was way too fast, it then all of a sudden had lights on and already had a 70 mile an hour um, running start at us. And my brother at the time was having a moment of uh, stupid, I guess is probably the most accurate way to put it, and decided to make sure that the cop was following him and not just randomly turning on his lights, decided to take an exit and a few quick turns to see if the policeman would um, join us. And he did. Uh, he did. And they have a fancy word for it. They call it fleeing and eluding. Um, it's a bad idea. Uh, and you can go to jail, lose your license, and a few other things for it. So might not be something you want to do. But what I want you to understand is that when he did, and the policeman um, caught up to us, and eventually he pulled over, the policeman got out of his car and politely pulled out his gun and told us, um, or told Sam to step out of the vehicle with his hands in the air. Uh, then they took me, and they put me in the back of the police car and took me down to the police station. Like, what is this? I'm a little kid sitting buckled up. Like, you ran from the police. I didn't do anything. I just went like this. Why am I getting drugged down to the police station and have to wait for my parents to come pick me up? Because you were in his car. Ooh, great evil. I sat. I even buckled up. I did my part. I was obeying the law. But his choice exploded. His choice didn't just affect him. His choice affected me. And I, and I begin to catch this concept that stupid doesn't just affect the person who's making the choice. See, because they, they go on and, and it, they pose this question of, of who's on the boat. They, they pose, whose fault is this? And in verse 7, they, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to Jonah, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? He already told them he was running from God, but they thought that meant he was running from a little wood statue. Ooh, statue's creeping you out. You're running away. Good for you. Just pay us. And so at first they just figured he was a weird psycho running away from a little statue. But when he said, hey, I serve the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who made the sea, and the reason that I'm here is because I'm running away from him. And all of a sudden there's a storm. They go, this is bad. Your stupid is exploding on me. What am I going to do? And so I, as I was looking at this, I got thinking 
his solution was get rid of me. He goes, throw me out of the boat. If you want to live, throw me out. And they're like, I don't know about this. You're like, what? Well, if God's, if you serve that God, if we throw you out, will God be mad at us? Will God sink us? Will God destroy us? And they were afraid. So you know what they did? They kept him on the boat and they tried to row to shore. And you know what happened? The storm kept going and they made it nowhere. And eventually, they gave up. And they're like, we're all going to die. If we throw him overboard, the worst thing that could happen is he dies before the rest of us. By a few minutes. It's worth a shot. Jonah? One, two, three. And when he hit the water, I don't know if it was like instant, like he hit the water and poof, it was still. Or if it was like he hit the water and a fish goes, and then it was still. I'm not sure the exact order there. But they said when he, they threw him overboard, the storm stopped, and they freaked out. <laughs> Whoa. <sighs> That's creepy. Um, and then the story goes on, and maybe we'll finish the story another day, but there's, there's some lessons that are right here. Or maybe I can get to some of that. We'll see how long this takes. But what I discovered was there are a lot of people whose lives are a wreck because somebody else's stupid is exploding? When I talk to high school students, and a lot of, I guess I don't know how long all of you have been here because it varies, but I have been in youth ministry for about a decade now, and I've had students that were, I had as fifth graders that are now in college. I've gone to weddings of students I had in fifth grade, which is kind of weird. Um, makes me feel old sometimes. But it, this is where a lot of times I watch a student that loves Jesus. It's on fire for Jesus. And I'm so excited for what God has for them. And then I see them a few years later and I go say, what happened? Because you were so on fire. You were doing so great. And somehow your life got derailed. And you're in a mess. The most common answer when I talk to them, especially if they finally come to, if they're still being stupid, they don't always get it. But if they finally have realized, sometimes they'll come back to me and they go, hey, I need help. Because my life is in a mess. And you're like, what happened? Because you were doing so good. And then all of a sudden, you started distancing yourself. I stopped seeing you, and you said that life became a mess. And the most common answer, well, I've got these friends. Well, I met this girl. Well, there's this guy. Well, and almost every time there's somebody that they brought in. And that somebody's choices begin to affect them. And it's so easy to be like the sailors and to see somebody and you start to build a relationship with them and you're like, well, I like them. And then you realize they're half stupid. Um, not like they can't answer two plus two, but they just keep making choices that are very sinful or they keep making choices that aren't very intelligent. And it's very easy to be like the sailors and go, I'll save them. I can row to shore. But so often, you get stuck in the sea with them. And their stupid continues to explode on you. And I can go through a lot of different stories 
of lives that have been destroyed by the people that they chose to be around. I'm going to tell you one from the Bible about Ammon. Some of you guys may have heard of Ammon. Some of you guys are like, I know that name. Others of you guys are like, Ammon, that's a different name. Okay. Ammon was a prince. His father was a king. But Ammon made a stupid friend. And see, when you have a stupid idea, good friends look at you and go, I love you, but that's stupid. Don't do that. Ammon had a stupid idea. He noticed that his sister was good looking, or his half-sister. That's a stupid idea. He's like, she's really hot. I don't know what to do about it. I have a crush on my half-sister. His friend should have been like, dude, that ain't right. But I, but I feel it. Well, feelings lie to you frequently. Just because you feel it doesn't make it a good idea. And this is a good principle for you all to remember. Just because you want it, just because you feel it, doesn't make it a good idea. I often feel like blowing up my alarm clock. That's a bad idea. My alarm clock is my phone, and replacing it's very expensive. If I blow it up, I then need to replace it. I still, the reason it went off is because I said it, I need to get somewhere. But what do I feel like doing? Blowing it up. Sometimes I'm very loving. Sometimes I feel unloving. But you know that just because it's how you feel doesn't make it a good idea. So you do what's right regardless of how you feel. And if you just let how you feel dictate your life, you'll end up in a mess. But his friend goes through this and gives him horrible advice. Rather than letting him know that, hey, it's all right that you had a bad idea. Take your thoughts captive and let's change the direction that you're headed. His friend goes, ah, I can figure out a way to make that happen. He's like, pretend you're sick and ask that she come and take care of you. Simple enough request. Shouldn't get denied. And he goes, and then send everybody out and do what you want. You're bigger than she is. And so he does this and he rapes his sister or his half sister, which is a really bad idea. But he did it because he trusted the people that he had around him gave him horrible advice. And in the end, her full brother was really upset about what he did, reasonably so. His solution, kill Ammon. He did. Ammon's friend cost Ammon his life. It's very common that people's friends make or break them. I cannot tell you how many students I've talked to that have been completely destroyed by their friends. And you can go through it and you can keep reading in, in, he, in Jonah chapter 1 on how the sailors tried even harder to row ashore. Yet, it destroyed their, it was destroying their lives. I had a couple friends when I was in, going into high school. It was about my freshman year. That I felt, I knew, my friends were making some choices. 
And I had two groups of friends. I had one really large group of friends that I hung out with mostly at church, and I had one friend that I'd just been, it was like a separate group that I'd been friends with since I was like three or four. Freshman year, the mass group decided they were more interested in hanging out, goofing off, and being friends than they were in pursuing God. And I had to decide. Do I want them in my boat? Because wherever the boat goes, everyone in the boat goes together. If you're in one boat, you can't go different directions. That's called the bottom. Try it sometimes. Split a boat in half. See what happens. It sinks. So I looked and I was like, all right, do I want God or do I want friends? Like, I want both. I want my cake. I want to eat it too. But if I can have one, which one's more important? Because I can choose God or I can choose my friends. And I said, all right, God, I'm going to choose you. And it was nice because at that point, I want to say there was a brief gap in between separating from all of them before I had to separate from the other one, but not by much, by just a couple of months. I had to let all of them go. And I started to hang out a bit more with the one friend. And he started hanging out with some other friends. And it wasn't that I was jealous because he had other friends. The problem was, I went with him one day as we hung out with a girl that he liked. And she had a friend. Well, he got in more trouble than I did. She got in more trouble than he did. And we went to her friend's house who gets in more trouble than she did. And then we went to the boy which she liked's house who gets in more trouble than she did. And once we get there, he offered us weed. I think his mom was going to provide alcohol. And the house, a bunch of people went in and were smoking. I just sat outside. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I have, I want to fit in. I want to have friends, but I don't want what they got. And that day I made a decision. I said, all right. God, I choose you. And that means I'm going to have to let go and I'm going to have to throw some people out of my boat. The crazy thing is I can go back years later. I can go back now. That friend is dead because of some of the games and some of the choices from the people around him because stupid exploded. I can look at the large group that I walked away from when I chose um, as I went into high school. Most of them turned their backs on God lives derailed. A lot of them now are just starting to realize that they messed up their life and starting to come back. And I look and go, what would happen if I kept them in the same boat? What if I said, I'll save you? I'd have sunk. Because if someone's, if you're in the same boat, you're going the same way. And it's one thing when someone comes to you and goes, you know what? I want what you've got. So great, come with me. Come with me to church. Come with me. Let's help you let go of some other friends that, are helping, that were pushing some of the wrong behavior. But it's different when you're going with them. And I had to make a choice. I bet a lot of you need to make a choice. Okay, I, I can actually narrow it down and say all of you either have had to, need to, or will have to.
It's just a matter of time before someone gets in your boat that shouldn't be there. And you have a choice. Will I let their stupid explode? Or will I throw them out of my boat? You go, but throwing them out of my boat sounds so mean. It does. But here's what you can change. You can die together or separate. The sailors looked and said, you know what? We can't save Jonah. If we don't throw Jonah overboard, we all sink. Our only option, our options are sink together or throw him overboard. And I feel like there's some people in here that this, this year, some, I had a conversation with somebody early on this school year, and it just it got me thinking about this, going, there are a lot of students who need to hear and need to evaluate, going, who's in my boat and where's it going? Do I need to throw somebody out of the boat? I really wanted to make it to the second point. Bummer. If you do, I want to challenge you to, to throw them out and to realize that people can bring blessing or can sink your boat. Who do you have in yours? And what are you doing to the people around you? Are you a blessing to their boat or are you sinking it? Because if you realize that people should throw you out of their boat, you can repent and you can change. There's forgiveness. God is a God of second chances and it's something we'll get into another day, but it's one of the most beautiful things in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. No matter how stupid he seemed to be in running from God, in taking three days in the belly of a whale to repent, God gave him another chance. He said, all right, if you're willing to repent, and it's another message. We'll get into it another time. But I want to challenge you to go, all right, am I seeking God first? Is there somebody in my boat or lots of somebody's in my boat, I throw out. Some of you guys are like, forget it, my boat's horrible. I just need to jump off the boat myself. <laughs> Everybody on this boat is going the wrong way. But you can do that. And you go, will it be lonely? It might be. I spent nine months without much of a friend. There was a lot of people who would say hi to me at church, but I didn't have a friend. Because when I left church, there was no one who called, there was no one I talked to, and there was no one to hang out with. I remember meeting a cute girl at church, and normally you'd tell your friends, hey, I met a girl, and she was cute. I went home, and I'm like, well, who am I supposed to tell? I laid in bed, like, hey, God, I met a girl. She was cute. Those nine months were rough, but they were probably the most important nine months in my entire life. As at that point, I made such a firm decision that God, I will seek you above what I want. I will seek you regardless of the cost 
and nobody will take your place. Such a powerful thing. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means it may save your life. It means it, it's worth it. Um, some of you guys say, you know what? I'm the one that should get thrown out of a boat. My life's not going where it should be. And it might be because of people that you had in your boat that got you headed the wrong direction. But if you say, you know what? I want to repent. I want to receive God's forgiveness. I want to give you a chance to receive God's forgiveness, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Can everyone bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, you say, that's me. I want God's forgiveness. I want to receive forgiveness. I want to be in a right relationship with God. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm the way to heaven. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. That's me. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Awesome. Awesome. All right, you guys can put your hands down. If you raise your hand and say, you know what, I've already done that before. I've already made Jesus my Lord. Then great. Then join us as we declare him to be Lord of our lives. Go ahead and repeat after me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.